If you brought your Bible with you, uh, we're going to be in the book of Revelation this morning, Revelation chapter 6. I would encourage you to go ahead and open up there if you have a Bible with you. Uh, we'll be reading all 17 verses. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, Scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Uh, and if you are joining us online, you'll be able to see the Scripture on whatever device you are watching. Again, that's Revelation 6, 1 through 17. So I don't know about you, but when I read a book or watch a movie, uh, I have a tendency to find myself somewhere in the story, you know, to imagine being the main character. That's usually what we do as human beings, especially as men, right? We imagine ourselves as the hero character. Um, maybe there's some of you in here who imagine yourself as the villain. Uh, if so, you should probably talk to somebody about that. Um, but we like to imagine ourselves in the story. Uh, and one of the best ways to do that, and I know I have some 90s kids in the house, uh, so you guys will remember this, 80s and 90s kids. Uh, you remember the old Choose Your Own Adventure storybooks? Does anybody else remember those? Yes, those were awesome, right? Uh, you know, it was literally, you, you make different choices in the book, and you flip to different pages, and it would have multiple different endings. Uh, and it was uh, just a good tool to literally find yourself in the story. You were a character in the story making decisions. Uh, there's some modern versions of that. Um, I know there's some stuff on Netflix, some of the cartoons, and even some of the um, re you know regular shows are interactive, where you can make choices that take you down different paths um, if you're watching on an interactive device of some sort. Uh, and, and so that's that's you know publishers and, and and script writers understanding that we indeed like to find ourselves in the story. Uh, we'll try to imagine what it's like to be that person. Um, Shawshank Redemption is my favorite movie, and I can only imagine what it's like to be Andy Dufresne, stuck in prison, wrongly accused, uh, and, and dealing with uh, just the the realization of all that setting in. And that's one of the reasons why that movie is so powerful, because you can imagine yourself being in a similar situation and, and fighting to get free and fighting to, for what's right in the meantime, and it's powerful in that sense. We like to find ourselves in the story. And the reality is you are in the middle of a story. It's not about you, all about you. You're part of the story. It's a story about God, but you are in the middle of the unfolding story of God's judgment and redemption. We're right in the middle of it now. It's a present story that we and I, again, not the main parts, but we get to play a part in. Uh, we get to be a play a part as the hands and feet of Christ. And one thing I've been saying about the book of Revelation from the beginning is that it is revealing to us, it's the whole point, right, to reveal. Uh, that's what an apocalypse does. It pulls back the curtain on the truth, the reality of things. And so it is revealing to us what is going to happen, but it also it's revealing the truth about what is happening and what indeed has happened. Uh, even that song that we just sang together, that's taken out of Revelation 5 that we read together last week. Uh, the, when God is worshipped, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, he is called the one who was and is and is to come. There is that all-present time reality with God that he exists, he existed, and he will exist. Uh, and God is the God who is I am, who is without tense. And so all of this, you know, when we put, try to put time limitations on it, we're, we're missing the point. The book of Revelation is telling us indeed about how everything is going to end, but it's also speaking to us about what is going on around us right now. And we're going to see that in the chapter that we're going to look at this morning in Revelation chapter 6. It's a chapter that many of you know, if, if not from reading in scripture, you know from pop culture. 
Uh, you know from uh, things as from music to wrestling, you heard about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Uh, it is it's seeped into our pop culture, uh, and it is something that is often seen with fear and dread. Um, but I want to show you about how the four horsemen are already on the earth, are already busy doing the things that they were set about to do. It is a present reality that also speaks of a future judgment. So this is, again, that point I warned you about a couple of weeks, right? We're going to get into some things, a lot of symbolism, where it's easy to just kind of check out and be like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to think about that. It seems scary. It seems disappointing. It seems dreadful. So we kind of put down the book of Revelation here, and we pick it back up in chapter 21 when everything is fine and done. Uh, but let's go through some of this hard stuff, some of the symbolism, and see more of the beauty of God, because that's the whole point. Again, I'm going to continue to echo this reality. The book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about him, and so every verse within it should bring us to a position of worship and should cause us to hope, not to dread, about what is to come if we are found in the person covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are in the unfolding story of God's judgment and redemption. Before we open the Bible and read Revelation 6 together, let's pray again. Father, we are grateful to be here in your presence. God, we are grateful that you have indwelled our words of praise, God, that you have given us access to your perfect word. And God, that through your word, you are speaking to us this morning. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, I pray that you would help us to turn off the distractions and the chaos, the busy week, and to focus solely on what you have for us this morning. God, through the, your perfect word of truth, through the movement of your Holy Spirit, God, would you speak to us in such a way that you transform us from the inside out. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people would slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, come, creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I, uh, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were, be, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. 
when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Follow us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Again, we're picking up speed. A lot more action happening in this chapter than in previous ones, at least from a worldly perspective. There's plenty going on in the worship throne of the Lamb. Uh, That's what we've talked about the last two Sundays, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, getting a picture of the worship going on uh, of the the 24 elders gathered around the throne, worshiping the four living creatures that we see in action here in chapter 6, worshiping God continually. Uh, And and then, of course, we see in Revelation 5, John looking into heaven and the scroll being delivered and nobody being able to open it. Who can open its seals? Uh, he, He weeps because there's no one found in heaven or on earth or under the earth who is capable of opening the seals, of continuing the story of God, of telling the redemption that is coming. And finally, there is this one that is found who is like a lamb that was slain. And, of course, we know that to be Jesus himself, the line of the tribe of Judah we see in Revelation 5. He is found worthy to open the seals. And so here in chapter 6, he begins to open the seals to this scroll. And the first four are indeed what we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's an interesting image. Horsemen riding to conquer. That's the first one we see is the white horse. Uh, The white horse on which the rider is is riding, conquering to conquer. Uh, He's saying conquering twice because that's his whole job his whole desire is to conquer everything around him now this one can be a little bit troublesome uh, and a little bit easy to make a mistake on because in revelation 19 towards the end of the story we see jesus himself show up as a rider on a white horse but this is not jesus okay Uh, this is in context obviously to be identified with the other three riders of the apocalypse Uh, but also there's there's just a lot going on that shows that this isn't jesus for one even though he comes as a rider in white, uh, bearing that kind of symbolism, he comes with a bow, he comes armed, ready to fight. Uh, I've always found it interesting that it's, it's a bow, but no arrows are mentioned. And so in a way, this is kind of an impotent power, uh, a powerless power, if you will. He has the appearance of having authority and power, but he has no way to use the weapon with which he is armed. And so what we have in this character, this white horse, is false messiahs, false Christs, false hopes. All throughout this passage, there's going to be similarities with another passage in Scripture. And that is Matthew 24. Uh, It's called the Olivet Discourse, in which Jesus talks about the end that is to come. Uh, And he talks about many things that are kind of echo here in John's words uh, in Revelation chapter 6. And one of the things that Jesus discusses is that in the end, there will be people who appear to be the Messiah. There will be others who are claimed to be the Christ, the one upon which we should place our hope, upon which we should place our devotion and worship. And so that's what this character is indicative of, is the reality of the false Christ. And I'm not saying a particular individual that we would call the Antichrist. I'm talking about the spirit of of false messiahs that is already present within the world. 
of people who put themselves up as people to be worshipped and adored, who would say that I can save you, I can fix everything, but in reality bring nothing but destruction. Uh, we've seen this as a part of human the human experience, well, from the very beginning, just about. The pharaohs in Egypt, up until, you know, more recent people in positions of leadership. For instance, the Kim dynasty in North Korea is thought to be divine. Uh, that these people who are in charge there are not only people of political power, but actually have divinity coursing through their veins and therefore deserve to be not just obeyed, but actually worshipped. Um, you can see that in many of the empires in the East. You can also see it in Western cultures, uh, Hitler and Napoleon and, and so on and so forth. Different people who have put themselves up over time as people who are to be worshipped, to be followed and adored and capable of fixing everything for their people. Uh, that's what all of those tyrants, that was one of the things that they did, is they promised to their people, they promised everything they ever wanted. And so what we have in this character is the false messiah. And here's the reality. The judgment of, the, of false Christs is already with us. We already have this as a reality. Not only people, but systems. Not only systems, but ways of life, materialism. All kinds of things setting themselves up as our Messiah, as our hope, who will deliver us from all that is wrong within us, who will fill that hole in our heart that we're looking so desperately to fill. There is that spirit already present within the world. And I say that it's a judgment of God because God allows it to happen. John uses words on purpose, obviously. I think he chooses his words wisely. And he says that to the white rider... A crown was given. He didn't earn the crown. He didn't take the crown. Someone gave him the crown, the appearance of authority. So God is allowing this to happen. One of the things that I do with my boys, that Cheryl and I try to do, is we try to read uh, the Bible together, and we're reading through the second time now, uh, the Action Bible. It's the Bible kind of put in a comic book strip. You've probably heard me talk about it before. Uh, it's really cool. It, it, it doesn't avoid a lot of the stickier places, which is fun. Um, but uh, we were reading through it this week, and I'm reminded of the story and got to read it to them uh, about the last judge of Israel, Samuel, uh, and how the people of Israel came to Samuel, and they're like, hey, Everybody else around us has a king. We want a king. Samuel's like, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm going to go talk to God about it. And basically the judgment that he brings back to the people from God is, you want a king? You got a king, right? But you're not going to like it. Uh, he kind of basically is the assumption. Uh, and so Saul comes on the picture. Saul kind of leads well, but he's kind of a coward, and it ends up being a mess, right? And of course, we see David after that, and David is the epitome of what a king should be, except for the couple of big issues, right? Uh, but is a man after God's own heart, at least. Uh, and then throughout the rest of the history of the kings, you have, you know, a handful of people who did well while they were on earth. But really, uh, if you kind of chronicle the kings, uh, a lot of it is abject failure of people who take the people of God further away from God. And so what Israel thought it wanted, it got, but it ended up being more of a judgment than a blessing. And so in a way, this false Messiah is God saying to the world who rejects him, like, you want your own Messiah? Like, you want your own hope? You want your own devices to save you? Okay, like, I will let you choose that. And here's what's going to happen. It's going to be a false hope. It's going to look like a riding conqueror who conquers, but in reality has no weapon with which to conquer, but the only person that he ends up conquering is you by your own lust for what you want and what you think would make you happy. So that's what we have in this false Messiah, in this rider on a white horse. And really, you can kind of take this passage as the other three horsemen 
becoming like a progressive movement from one to the next. That the white rider allows the red rider to come and then the black rider and then the pale rider. And the red rider is the one who is next. And he, of course, is indicative of war. And he is given the power to go and take life. He is given a sword. Again, it didn't come from him, but it's something that he was given. God is allowing this to happen. It might not be that God is acting against his people, but he is certainly allowing us to come to the end of ourselves. Allowing the natural consequence of our actions to take place. The judgment of war is already with us as well. The Red Rider. And again, you don't have to look very far to realize that's a reality. Humankind has been peaceless for like all of history. You remember history class when you were in junior high or high school or ancient civilizations in, 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 in college? Uh, what were you basically talking about most of the time? Wars. People fighting with each other. I, I mean, some of our great like literature comes out of wars. Some of our great movies comes out of wars. Uh, contention is a part of human life to the point that if we ever watch a movie or read a book in which there's no conflict, we're like, well, that's fake. You know, we throw it away because there has to be conflict in order for it to make sense from a human perspective and not just inner conflict. There has to be people fighting against each other or it just doesn't job with our current reality because we are such a peaceless people. This rider on the red horse is given the opportunity to take peace. He's given the opportunity to take life. And we see him at work today. You know, you could say, well, wow, you know, you ended up picking this passage and reading through the book of Revelation when all of this is going on in the world, in Afghanistan right now and in other places. But here's the, here's the reality. No matter when this happened, no matter when we went through this book, there would be something I could point at in the world and say, look, there's an absence of peace. Look, there's the presence of war because we are a warring people. Right, we see it because of the news and what's going on with us, because of the the travesty of the of the death of of of, of thirteen Americans, along with everybody else who perished in the bombings uh, this past week. Uh, and we see that reality. Maybe it hits home a little more uh, because our people are involved in it. But it's always going on around us. Just most of the time in the Western world, in America in particular, we're insulated from it. It is a present reality for most of the world, for all of the world, unless we just happen to not be paying attention. The judgment of war two is already with us the red rider and then next is the black rider who once again is given authority to ride upon the earth and this black rider is indicative of famine there's no food or there's very little food famine and economic problems uh, it says that uh, as john is listening in he can hear it's like he overhears a conversation uh, and it's some wheat for denarius. In other words, what he's really, well, what you can read between the lines there uh, is he's saying enough wheat for a day for a day's wages. Uh, and again, there was only one person in the household who would work, so you'd have enough to feed one person for one day based off his one day's wages. That's not enough to feed everybody. It's not enough to remain comfortable for sure. Uh, and then you have barley, which is kind of a lesser grain that you can buy at a cheaper rate, but even that is, is still not good. Uh, and so you see things being rationed out. Uh, you see this, this, this season of lack. Uh, this season of, of not having enough. And again, this is a harder one for us to get our minds around because we live in a country of plenty. We live in a time of plenty, but much in the world today are experiencing lack. There are thousands of people that today on this planet will likely die from some sort of malnutrition-related disorder, whether there's hunger itself, lack of clean drinking water, or some bug that would infect someone because they are malnourished. That's a present reality. It is the way things currently are. 
And so the same is true for the black rider. The judgment of famine is already with us. It's not something that is coming. It's something that's already here, something that is already going on. And then finally, there's the fourth rider of the apocalypse, the pale rider. Now, this rider has several different things attached to him, mainly, mainly just death. War, pestilence, famine, all that. Sometimes he's called, uh, the, 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 this horseman is called the one of pestilence. Um, but the others are mentioned as well, war and famine and death. Basically just death. And it says that he has power to, to affect a, a fourth of the world's population. Now, I don't think this means that when the end comes, it's going to draw a number and it's going to be exactly 25% of the people on the earth as if he's some uh, like Thanos character who's just going to take out you know a quarter of the population. But what I think instead is going on is that John is trying to show us it's it's he has a lot of power. There's a lot of sway. There's a big effect by the rider of this horse. Uh, death is prevalent in the world. And again, that's not a new thing. That's not a thing we're having to look forward to. That is a reality. It's always been a reality. All of us know that if Jesus doesn't return in the flesh, we're not getting out of your life, right? Uh, that we all have an expiration date. None of us know when that is, but we know that it is a present reality. And we know that it happens in many cases. Again, we're not as familiar with it as other parts of the world, but in many cases it happens way too abruptly and, and, and un, unjustly. Uh, and, and we certainly, again, all we have to do is turn on the news today to see it at work, to see the rider of death at work in Afghanistan, to see the rider of death at work all over the world through a current pestilence in COVID. We see all of these things currently in our world and throughout the history of humankind. The judgment of pestilence is already with us. So now you're probably thinking to yourself, or at least I was when I was putting this together, like, okay, that's some wonderful news. All of these judgments are with us. So what does that mean for us? Like, where's the good news, preacher? Uh, you know, there's supposed to be some gospel in there somewhere. And so you're telling us all of these judgments are already here. Well, just hang on with me for a little bit. Because then the fifth seal is open. And in the fifth seal, our setting has changed. We're no longer on earth watching things happening. We are now back in the throne room. And coming from underneath the altar, from the place where, Old Testament speaking, sacrifices are offered to God. From the place where prayers were being offered earlier in the story. We see the martyrs, the voice of the martyrs, calling out to God. How long will you wait to take vengeance for what was done to us? How long will you allow injustice to occur? That's the question that is thrown up to God. And again, we see at least on this fifth seal that we're not quite done with things, that this isn't quite the end because the answer given to them is rest, wait just a little longer because there's still people to be added to the number of your brothers and sisters who will also die in the same way that you died. When all of that is complete, then the judgment will come. Again, reminiscent of, of Matthew 24, that when everyone has heard the news that's supposed to hear the news, the end will come. There is a day, but it is not yet today. And as I think about that that image, it's, it's, it's one in, in, in Revelation that I'm aware of, but I haven't really stopped to really think about. Because I think about all the martyrs calling out for God, this week, I had an opportunity to allow myself something I don't do enough, probably, as an American. And that is to, again, I put myself in other people's story, but the really hard stories I just ignore. I don't really put myself in their story, but 
had the opportunity to sit and imagine what it must be like for an Afghan believer right now to be in a place where they can't get to the airport without getting seen by the Taliban because of all the checkpoints and everything, and to have their house invaded. And then, of course, as a man, I'm thinking of it through the lens of a man, through the lens of a father and a husband. And I'm thinking about what those men are seeing, what they're witnessing in the moments before they're killed. And I don't even want to talk about it, right? We're a mixed company, got kids in the room, don't want to talk about it. You know what I'm talking about. And my blood boils within me. And I think to myself, how in the world can such evil take place? What would I do if I were in that situation? And I know one thing I think I probably would do is in my first breath in heaven, hopefully I use it to praise Jesus. But I imagine the next couple of breaths, I'm going to be like, God, how long are you going to wait to take this evil out? And, and I'm, you know, I'm not talking about flesh and blood anymore. I'm, like, I'm talking about the forces that are at work behind the battles that we see going on. God, how long are you going to take to throw that evil into the lake of fire from which it will never return? God, how long is it going to take? And, and so before you see them and you think, oh, man, they're getting impatient. No, they are ready for justice to be done to be achieved. They're seeing things that are not right, and they're saying, God, it is time to fix this. Not because I want to get them back, but because it's time for this evil to no longer exist in your creation. God, how long will we wait? And that's this fifth scene, is John hearing the voice of the martyrs. I want to encourage you, not only modern-day martyrs, but martyrs throughout the history of the church the last 2,000 years, Go and read some of the stories of the men and women who were willing to give everything for the sake of their faith. And, and, and as you read, may you identify in the same way that these voices do. May you use it as a, as a, as a jumping off point in prayer. God, we want justice to be done. God, those deaths must mean something, right? There has to be something that's going to happen that makes all of this right. God, how long will it wait? Maybe you can identify with that crowd. But there is, of course, the promise of God's ultimate judgment. And that we see in the sixth seal. The sixth seal is the one of the six in this chapter that is firmly at the end of time. And again, this is very reminiscent of Jesus's descriptions of how the end will be in Matthew. He uses some of the same uh, images about the, 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 the sky being rolled up as a scroll and, and uh, the, the stars falling from the sky and mountains being leveled and all the different things. You, you see this picture of a, of a calamity at the end when everything, everything that is just isn't anymore to the point where even the stars in the sky disappear. Now, that would mean a, a lot for somebody alive then, but from us with a, you know, a little bit more developed scientific understanding of the stars, I mean, that is a universe-shattering event, not just planet Earth, when everything disappears this is God bringing everything to its conclusion. The end is coming, and here's the reality. No one can avoid it. You know, if you go back to the black horse, uh, and John is overhearing that voice uh, about how much the barley and the wheat costs, there's also a little addendum at the end of that that he overhears, but don't touch the oil and the wine. Now, scholars disagree on why that's there. Some think that it was just like a cultural thing. During war, you didn't bother that. That was like a war crime uh, in antiquity. You know, you just left the oil and wine alone. But others think that 
That's because the people in power, the people with money and means, really liked the oil and the wine. So they didn't care if poor people didn't have enough wheat or barley as long as they kept the oil and the wine. Now, that's not indicative of our modern world, is it? That the poor suffer and the rich prosper? That the rich get richer and the poor get poor? That's, that's you know, we don't see that anywhere in the world. You know, of course, we see that all over the place. And if we're being honest, we are the beneficiaries of such a world in many cases. I know that one hurts, but it's reality. Now, at the end, when all things are brought to judgment, as John is describing what he's seeing, he sees the generals, the powerful. He sees the rich. He sees all people, everyone. He even goes to the point of saying the slave and the free man are all running for the caves and the mountains, begging for the rocks and the cliffs to fall on them to protect them from the day of judgment that is coming from the Lamb and Him who sits on the throne. Everyone will be subject to this judgment. Only God has real authority. Now again, you're probably still wondering that question. Where's the hope? Where's the good? None of what happens in chapter 6 changes what was already said in chapter 5 and 4. The four horsemen can do whatever the four horsemen want to do. But here's what they haven't done. They haven't removed God from his throne. They haven't stopped the redemption story of God coming to save that which is lost. None of that has been put off because the horsemen are at work. Here's reality, folks. This is what I've been trying to get across this morning. You live in a world at war. You live in a world in which these four horsemen are not some future possibility, but are a present reality. False gods, not just in people, but in systems and in things, are vying for our attention and our worship 24-7, especially in the Western world. War is here around us all the time both in the international sense, as well as the way we fight with each other in our own government and in our own politics, as well as the way that we find division even within families and communities. Death is around us. Whether it's cancer or COVID or natural causes or whatever, death is a present reality that is with us from the very beginning. Uh, I heard one, sometime, one time someone say that uh, as soon as Eve's teeth pierced the fruit of the garden, death entered the world. And it hasn't left since. And pestilence and is here with us as well. As well as famine that I talked about earlier. All of those things are a present reality. All of those things are here now seeking to devour. Seeking to destroy us. Because that is the ultimate end of those who follow after one who is not the Christ. Is destruction. But that's not us. Amen? I'm not following a false Christ, at least not in my heart because I follow and believe in Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. There are times in my sinfulness that I follow false Christ. There are times that maybe I set myself up as a false Christ in my own little world, thinking that it's all about me and all about pleasing me. But thank God for grace and that he has washed me with his blood and that I'm cleansed and found in him for all of eternity. Because because of that, I'm not under the judgment of the false Christ, but rather I'm under the one who is the true Christ, who is in the throne room, being praised even as the horsemen are running amok on, on planet Earth. 
The reality in heaven has not changed, no matter what is going on on earth. And so I have a very simple imperative for you, something that I would like for you to think about as you leave this place. And it is this, you being a people at war, do not bend the knee to anyone other than the one true Messiah. And his name is Jesus Christ. Do not bend the knee to fear-mongering in the world that tells you because of everything that is going on that you should run and hide or that you should wring your hands or that you should live in moments filled with anxiety from which you feel like you will never be able to escape. No, instead, rest in the freedom that is found solely in Jesus Christ. Don't give in to that fear that says, oh, there's no hope. No, there is hope. And it's not just a thing. It's a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he died so that he could give you hope. Don't bend the knee. Don't worship that which is vying for your devotion, whether it's yourself or your job or your money or the things or popularity or power or influence. Don't Bend the knee to that which is vying for your devotion and worship unless his name is Jesus. And don't give in to the peacelessness in the world. We as Christians can be embassies of peace in a chaotic world. We can be live lives of peace in which a world at war can see us as safe havens to which they can come in order to find peace. Don't bend the knee to the ways of division. And don't bend the knee to the fear of it all, to death itself. Because we, through Christ, have defeated death. And we know that even on the other side of that thing which we all fear is something more magnificent than any of us could ever articulate. Don't bend the knee. Because we are a people at war, in a world at war. This is a present reality, not something that's going to happen someday. It's that too, but it's a present reality. How are you doing in that battle? If you're riding along like it's not happening, first place to start is to realize that it is happening. And you're going to pick a side. Picking no side is picking the wrong side. Where are you battling? Where are you bending the knee? Where have you given away your allegiance and followed false messiahs? Because that will only end in destruction. As we come to the end of our service today, time of invitation and response, two things. One, if you have never experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you've never begun a saving relationship with him, today would be a great time to do that. I'll be hanging around here at the end while we're singing together in this first song, uh, and I'll be around after the service as well if you're going to talk privately. We can talk about what it means to follow Jesus. We can talk about what it means to be saved and protected by Jesus for eternity. And if you're joining us online and you have a question, just shoot us a Facebook message and let us know how to contact you, and we'll set up something where we can have this kind of conversation. Those of you who do know Jesus as Messiah, where are you bending the knee? What false god are you giving way too much power? Is it fear? Is it power? Is it death? What is it that you're giving way too much power?
where do you need to get up off the ground of that dirty altar and kneel to the one true God who is still God no matter what's going on. I encourage you to pray through that, to think through that. I'll be down here to pray with you if you'd like to pray with someone. You can always pray where you're at or with someone with you. The altar will be open if you'd like to come and kneel and pray in that way. But let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Our band is going to come lead us in our last couple of songs. Uh, And as they do, would you just respond in whatever way God is calling? Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for being present with us this morning. God, we thank you for being a God who is bigger than anything that's going on here. God, if there's anyone here who does not know you in a saving way, anyone hearing these words, God, would you reach out to them through your spirit and give them the grace to respond? And God, for those of us who are following you, God, those of us who seek you as as Lord and Master, God, would you show us where we're bending the knee to false gods? Show us how to correct and bend our knee only to you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.